book of Exodus. We have, uh, last week we zoomed way through uh, Genesis pretty quick. And again, any of these that you'd like to go back and listen to, the address is on the front of, the, of our bulletin, uh, anchor2007.podbean.com, and that's where they'll, they'll be found. Um, you can go back and, and listen to those. And we have other studies on there as well. We have Chad Sunday School. We have Sharon's studies that she's doing. She's recording at home. She's teaching on uh, Sunday mornings in the ladies' class about world religions, and then she's recording some of it at home because it's kind of hard to, to record that in the, the ladies' class because there's a lot of question and answer, which is a good thing, but she records that at home to, um, to put on our podcast, too, for folks to listen to, and we've had six on there so far, I believe, five or six, and she's going to be recording another one soon. So anyway, let's go into Exodus. Last uh, week, we went through pretty quick through the book of Genesis, and one, one reason it was so quick is because there's so much of it. There were 50 chapters, and uh, I did miss a few chapters on the life of Abraham in chapter 17 to 20, and I apologize for that. Uh, but hopefully tonight as we go through Exodus, we'll, we'll um, look at it a little bit closer. Exodus is a shorter book by 10 chapters. Exodus uh, is, a, um, is 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. It's the second book that we have in the um, um, Old Testament there. Let me get this to work right. If it will. There we go. I think. Um, yes, there we go. So we're going through Exodus tonight, and it has 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. And last week when we looked at Genesis, we talked about that's the book of beginnings. Uh, everything began in Genesis, and most of the, uh, all the major Bible doctrines that are found, Old and New Testament, begin in Genesis. It's called the seed plot of the Bible. Exodus continues on with the history of the nation of Israel. And the theme of the book of Exodus, as we'll see tonight in a couple of places, um, the theme of the book of Exodus is redemption. Now, there are four books that are very, very similar in the Old Testament, and those are Exodus, Leviticus, which will be our next book that, Lord willing, we'll get to next week, the book of Numbers right after that, and then the book of Deuteronomy. Those four book, the, the first five books make up what is called the Pentateuch, that's just a long word that simply means the first five books. Penta means five, and so it's the first five books. The, uh, the Jews call it, they refer to it usually as the Torah, but it's, it contains the law. Now, Genesis is not law, strictly in the sense that Exodus is in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, but they're the five books called the books of the law. The book of Genesis begins the nation of Israel with Abraham, and then it continues on in the book of Genesis, or excuse me, book of Exodus, after Joseph dies. So, if you have your Bible, we're going to look at a couple of places in Exodus and a couple of other places as well. But if you have yours with you, it names um, the tribes of Israel in the first few verses of chapter one, and it talks about how. Uh, well, it mentions in chapter at the end of, of Genesis chapter fifty how Joseph died. And then the, the 12 tribes are, are mentioned in, um, in the book of Exodus, uh, chapters 1 there, verses 1 to 5. And then look at verse number 6, if you will, with me. And Joseph died and all his brethren, all that generation. So a number of years, and we'll look at a timeline again in a moment. A number of years had passed from the time that Joseph and all his brothers, of course, his dad had died before that, but all of his brothers uh, had died um, at the end of the book of, or after the end of the book of Genesis, and in the book of Exodus, um, it records that they had died, and now Israel is still in Egypt where they were when Joseph died. Look at verse 8. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. 
Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass, when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. In other words, uh, Pharaoh, this Pharaoh, uh, the, the previous one had died. And so this Pharaoh did not know Joseph. It was many years later. He did not know Joseph. He apparently didn't know very much about the, uh, the history of Joseph himself. He just knew that Israel was still in, Exodus, in, uh, excuse me, in Egypt. And so he says, let's get them out of Egypt because if any of our enemies come in, they may join ranks with them and help the enemy to defeat us. So as all kingdoms are, they're, they're afraid for, their, for their, um, their own posterity, for their own kingdom, their own land. So it's a, it's a book of redemption, as we'll see. We talked about last week when we began the book of Genesis that creation is somewhere around 3,975 B.C., roughly 4,000 years before Jesus was born. Um, and then it ends at 1606 B.C., and uh, all that time of history we talked about last week. And one reason that we know, we mentioned last week, one of the, one of the reasons we know how long everything, uh, the time frame lasted is because you look at each one, and uh, this, especially in, around the time of Adam, how long they lived, their descendants and their descendants, and the time it took to get to the flood, then the time it took to, uh, to get to the end of the book of Genesis. So it ended about 1606 B.C. So from 1606 B.C. to 1580 B.C. Uh, is the time frame that verse 8 takes place in chapter 1. Because verses 1 to 7 just describe you know, what had happened after Joseph died. So the actual events of Exodus start in verse number 8. So about 1580 B.C. So Israel is in bondage in chapter 1. And in chapter 1 we see where Pharaoh... He feels very, um, he, he feels uh, because of the children of Israel, he feels like they're going to be outnumbered. He's intimidated by that fact. And so, as you remember, uh, you're going through chapter one, he ordered all the uh, baby boys, uh, Israelite boys under the age two, to be, to be killed. Much like happened, remember when Jesus had been born, that uh, Herod wanted all those little baby boys, uh, babies under two years old, to be, to be killed. And so, uh, very same thing. And so, um, Pharaoh wants to see the Israelites, um, you know, abolished. He wants them to be to be gone. And so Moses is born about 1543 BC. Is about the time that he's born, and that's in chapter two. There, when you get to um, to chapter two, uh, chapters two through four, starting at chapter two, it, it talks about Moses and him growing up in the palace there in um, in Egypt. He, grow, he grows up in Pharaoh's household. If you remember what happened in chapter 2 after he was born, um, his, uh, his mother puts him in the little ark of bulrushes and, and he's uh, rescued and taken in to the palace and he's raised in the palace there in Egypt under Pharaoh. He gets all the, um, all the uh, um, luxury of being in the palace as he's raised under Pharaoh, the best of food. He has everything he could want at his hands uh, disposal. And it is beck and call. And so when you see and read on through chapter 2, God speaks to Moses and he wants him to deliver his people from Exodus, from the bondage that they were in, in or from Egypt, excuse me, from the bondage they were in there in Egypt. He wants to deliver them out. And so a good bit of the book of Exodus, that's what happens in about the first third or so of it, is God's using Moses to deliver them 
uh, out of Egyptian bondage where they were you know, in slavery in Egypt. And so God calls him. When you get to chapter 3, uh, you see where God calls him and he calls him uh, as he's walking in the desert. And he says to him, when, he, when God speaks to him, he says, Moses, and he calls him and he says, uh, there's a bush that was on fire. Moses may have walked by that bush many, many times and seen it, but he had never seen it on fire. And the bush burned and never burned up. It was a miracle. God performed a miracle uh, to get Moses' attention. He used that sign. And he told him, take your shoes off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. And so there he was standing before that burning bush as God spoke through that bush and called him. And then he reveals himself to Moses in a way he'd never revealed himself to anybody at that point. Look at verse, if you're in chapter 3 with me, look at verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent, hath, uh, sent me unto you. So Moses, as he heard uh, and, and received that call from God, Lord, who are you? Who, who am I going to tell them that you, how will I tell them? What will I tell them that you are and who you are? Um, he said, how can the children of Israel listen to me? Why would they listen to me? He said, you tell them that I'm, I'm sending you. And he reveals himself in verse 14 as I am that I am. He says, Moses, I am the great I am. When you get over into the uh, gospel of John, there are seven places in the gospel of John where Jesus said, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the bread. And so Jesus reveals himself as the I am in the New Testament. And so God reveals himself, I am that I am. He didn't say, I'm the, he didn't say look, I'm the God only of the past. He didn't even say, I'm the God of the pre, only of the present. I'm the God of the past, present, and future. It's perfect tense. I am. I am. I always have been. I always will be. As we talked about last week in Genesis, God never had a beginning. He's always been. So he reveals himself that way to Moses and tells Moses, I want you to um, deliver my people from Pharaoh and from Egypt. So he calls him. Chapter 4 and 5, Moses and his brother Aaron, God tells Moses, Moses, I want you to lead my people. Aaron, I want you to be my priest over my people. And so as time goes by, we find out that Aaron is the beginning of the priesthood in Israel and the priesthood descends from Aaron. They're both brothers. They're born in the, under the tribe of Levi and Levi is the tribe where the priests are found. We'll see that more as we go into the books in the next few weeks of uh, uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. So he calls him uh, with his brother Aaron Aaron was going to be his spokesperson to uh, Israel, and uh, Moses was to be the deliverer. Although there are many times that Moses also spoke to the people. So Moses also, is now at this point, he goes before Pharaoh. You know, the strange thing is, when it starts out in the book of Exodus, you see where Pharaoh doesn't want the Israelites around anymore. But now we see where Pharaoh's going to not want to let them go. They're there in bondage to the Egyptians, and they don't want to let them go. And so chapter 6 and 7, Moses stands before Pharaoh, as God told him to do, to tell him to let his people go, uh, to let them leave Egypt. And he said, um, he, he tells them, he tells Pharaoh, um, God wants to deliver his people. And Pharaoh said, who is God? I don't know who he is. And so God told Moses, Moses, I have some things for you to do. And uh, I want you to show Pharaoh 
my power, and he'll realize that I am truly the living God. And so one of the first things they do is, is he's standing before Pharaoh. Some of Pharaoh's men, his magicians are around. And you remember where he throws the rod down and becomes a serpent. Well, they do the same thing. They're able to do that. Shows you folks that Satan has nothing original, but he'll counterfeit anything that God can do. Satan will try to counterfeit it. And so he, um, the Pharaoh's um, magicians, they threw down a, a, a rod, a staff, and it also became a serpent. Of course, you remember the story of how that happened. Moses' serpent eats that one up. So we see in the scripture where, um, again, from the very beginning, there has always been that conflict between the Lord and his kingdom, his program, and what he wants accomplished, and our enemy. He always comes against anything that God does. Um, he can counterfeit. He's not original. He always tries to counterfeit what God has done. And so as he stands before Pharaoh, he tells him there are going to be some plagues. And so the serpent showdown is in verse 1 to 11. Then when you pick up verse 14 there, there's the first plague uh, of 10. Nine of these are natural plagues where something happens um, with, with something in nature in creation. Um, that teaches us a few things. First of all, when you look at almost all of these plagues found in the um, one through ten or one through nine, especially found that we're about to look at for just a moment, each of these plagues will just almost every one of them will be repeated at some point during the tribulation. In the book of Revelation, starting at chapter six, going through to chapter um, nineteen, just about every one of those plagues are completely repeated in some way. Uh, in some cases, are a whole lot worse because these were in Egypt, but those plagues will be uh, further, um, more widespread. Another thing about these plagues is, as you read through there, I won't take the time to go through each one, but you see places where after each of these plagues, God sends them and Moses goes to talk to Pharaoh. The Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then finally, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. But it wasn't until Pharaoh had hardened his own heart. So we, you, you hear a discussion in, in a, uh, or, or hear in, in our day, um, the, uh, there, there's a teaching, a doctrine called Calvinism where people say, well, God will, will harden someone's heart. But when you look at the example of Pharaoh and other places in Scripture, God doesn't harden someone's heart until they first harden their own. And then God says, that's enough. That's what happened to Pharaoh. He kept hardening his own heart. And so each of these plagues come upon him as a warning to him. Let my people go. In fact, we get to a place where he's ready to let them go, and then he backs off. Every one of these plagues also, when you, when you look at them, in Egypt, they worshiped a lot of false gods. Remember when uh, I preached this a couple of weeks ago, but I referred to it last week in, in, when we looked at Genesis when, um, when Joseph was about to die, remember he told his brothers, he says, do not leave my bones in Egypt. I'm, I'm going to die and you'll bury me here. But when you leave Egypt, you take my bones with me. I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. And finally they did. After, um, after they were leaving, Moses made sure they had the casket with Joseph's bones, his body, just as Joseph had commanded, and they went out of Egypt with them. Then later on, you, you see where he's, um, or, or where they take his bones into uh, the promised land, and then they're finally buried when, when they go into, uh, back into 
to Israel, back into um, yeah, to, to Israel, they buried there in Shechem. So he said, I don't want my bones there. He says, look, God had me here for a purpose and a reason, but there's all these false gods. I don't want to be in Egypt. And we talked about how Egypt is a picture, a type of the world that we live in. And so he said, I don't even want my bones to remain there. When you leave, take me. So every one of these plagues had something to do with one of the false gods that they worshipped in Egypt. The first one in chapter 7, I broke this down if you want to write them down. But if you don't, I'll try to get some notes maybe here in a week or two and catch us up with these. But the first plague was turning water into blood. That's the very first thing that, that uh, was done in the very first plague. The second one was frogs. They worshiped frogs. Uh, and so he wanted to show them the seriousness of what death is about. Um, uh, and so bl the blood, uh, the water was turned to blood and they saw that. And so the frogs, they worshiped frogs. And God says, well, you like frogs, you're going to get a lot of them. And the Bible says they were even in the beds where they slept, the Egyptians. And so they were everywhere. Uh, they couldn't avoid those until God finally uh, moved them out. And then the next plague comes in, lice. In chapter 8, verse 16, uh, I put the wrong verse there. It should be 6 to 15, I think. I put the wrong number there. Uh, chapter 8, verse 20, there's a plague of the flies. They actually also worship flies. In fact, you find out later there is a false god called Baal. And, fought, and, and Baal was supposedly the lord of the flies. And so they worshipped uh, flies. The fifth plague was where there was a moraine, great uh, soreness, great uh, plague that came upon their cattle. And many of them died, chapter 9, verse 1 to 16. The sixth plague was boils. They had boils all over their bodies. Um, and so remember Job, one of the things he went through, he had, he had boils all over him. But this was the whole nation, all of Egypt, they had boils all over them. Then God relieves that, and they get a little bit of respite. And then again, Pharaoh, his heart is hardened. So the seventh plague comes where there's fire and hail. When you read in the, the um, book of Revelation during the tribulation, that very thing is going to be repeated where there will be fire and hail that will come down out of heaven. Eighth plague was locusts that came all over the place, ate up uh, their vegetation, and uh, God sent that plague amongst them. Then there was a ninth plague of darkness. Throughout Scripture, darkness is always um, judgment in Scripture. When Jesus hung on the cross for about three hours, the Bible says it was completely dark. Why? Because the judgment of God upon the sins of mankind was placed upon God's Son, Jesus Christ. And for three hours, the Bible says, everything was completely dark. So darkness is a, uh, usually a judgment in, in Scripture for something, and that's one of the, the plagues. In fact, the ninth one right before the very last one. So in chapter 11, go with me there if you will, they're preparing for the very last plague that will be coming. And uh, we know this one probably uh, better than any of the rest of them. And so pick up with me in chapter 11. Let's, let's read some of this. Verse 1 through 4. The Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And notice he mentions Pharaoh first. Why? Because all the responsibility fell on him. He was the, he was the king. He was the Pharaoh over the whole nation. And so the responsibility all came back to him. And uh, he could have at any time... Um, Ease his heart towards you know, God and towards Israel and let them go, but he kept hardening his heart. Uh, afterwards, he will let you go. Hence, when he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out 
um, hence altogether. In other words, he's going to be glad to see you go. Verse 2, speak now in the ears of the people. Let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. So it wasn't the, the Israelites among themselves. They were to take this from the Egyptians. Verse 3, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Maybe it was because they were ready to get rid of them. That could have been what it was, but it says he gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And so they were glad to see him to go, probably. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Verse 4, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt. And then he tells about what's going to happen in that plague of the firstborn. But they take that silver and that gold. Make a mental note. Put a little put a little pen there, make a mental note of that, because later on in Exodus, we're going to see what the purpose of that was for. So the 10th plague is where, of course, the, um, that's where the firstborn of Egypt would die. And uh, God told them, uh, the Israelites, I'm going to send an um, uh, angel through. They're going to destroy uh, the firstborn of every house. And he tells the children of Israel, he said, this is how you escape it. And it was what, what he was, what we know, we, we will find here in this chapter and, and understand from here on out, this is what's the first Passover. And so the scripture describes God told, told them to take a lamb and take that lamb and uh, slay that lamb and put the door on the door, uh, put the blood, excuse me, on the doorposts and put, uh, put some of the top and put it on the sides of the door and uh, verse number 7 of chapter 12, They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper doorposts of the houses wherein you shall eat it. We have doorposts on our door. Most every door does, especially in a house. Some, you go into some buildings where it's got the big glass doors. You don't notice them, as, notice them as much. But you see them on doors here. And he said, verse 7, Put it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses. And you look at one, two, three. There's, there's a cross right there as you look at that. God showed them a cross many, many years. They wouldn't have any clue about that. They wouldn't understand that that made a cross. But we looking back, we can see what God was doing as the blood was placed upon the doorposts. I want you to place it on the doorposts, he said. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood there, look at verse 11. Uh, Thus shall you eat it, speaking of the lamb. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste, because it is the Lord's Passover. So they offered up the lamb and put the blood on the posts, but God is not a God to waste anything. And they ate that lamb. They roasted it. They ate it along with some other things. About four four or five years ago, I think it might have been in 2018 or 2019, some of you will remember, we had a man named Peter Shirikov. He's he's with a a, a ministry to, to Israel and he came here and he uh, did a, um, he did a, um, he showed us the, the Passover, the Seder, they call it. He showed us all the elements that were in the Passover. Very interesting thing to watch. And he referred to scripture in the Old and New Testament, how it shows a perfect picture of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so that's exactly what God did when he told them, I want you to take that lamb. Uh, I want you to uh, take the blood of it, put it on the doorposts. I want you to, to uh, take that lamb, roast it, eat it. And he told them to eat it in haste. It said there in verse, um, 
11, we just read with your loins girded. There's, in other words, eat that and you're, gonna, you're getting it to go. <laughs> you're taking it to go. Um, this is, this is going to be a, a to go, not a drive through, not a, not a sit down, but to go. And he said, uh, I want you to be ready. Um, once I get ready to call you out, I want you to be ready to go. So notice, here they are in Egypt. They're in, in, in Egypt where they're about to leave. They're in the world, right? The blood of the Lamb was going to save them, going to redeem them. And then after that, they would be called out. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of the Christian life. We're in this world. We can't help it. We're born in this world. Um, God knew before time when we were going to be born. We're born in this world. We're, we're born as sinners. We're born in a fallen world. God says, if you will put your faith in the finished work of my son, the blood that he shed for you, I will give you eternal life. I will redeem you. I will forgive you. I will do all the things I promise. And then there's going to be a day that I'm going to take you out of this world. I'm going to deliver you. What a beautiful picture of the Christian life. And so he told them, be ready, because when the time comes, I'm going to deliver you. You're going to come through there. When I see the blood, though, I will pass over you. All their firstborn lived. The firstborn of the Egyptians died. That was the last plague. Verse 13 is uh, what I was looking for as we were reading through there. Where he said, well, I see the blood. I will pass over you. So after that, they get out of Egypt. And now the firstborn in chapter 13, their firstborn are set aside. They're set apart. They're sanctified. Uh, verse uh, 2 of chapter 13, sanctify, that means to set apart for a special purpose. All the firstborn, he mentions, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. He said the firstborn is mine. Now this is going to be found later in some of the places we'll look at in Leviticus and so forth. But he said, set them apart. Then chapter 13, verse 17, God parts the Red Sea. Moses, I want, to take you, I want you to take that staff. Before Moses was called, Moses, like Jesus, like David, was a shepherd. He was a shepherd and he led sheep. Probably the very same staff that he used to guide those sheep and direct those sheep and correct those sheep. God says, Moses, I'm going to take that rod. I want you to hold it out like that. And I'm going to divide those waters and you're going to walk right through. And when he, when he did that, you see in chapter uh, 13, verse 70 to 14, Moses tells them, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. Salvation, another word for that, is redemption. It's also the word deliverance. God's going to deliver us out of Egypt. And he's going to do it by taking us through the Red Sea. And so the Red Sea parts. And they go across on dry land. And through the, um, where, where the water once was. Now they go through on dry land. And God dried the land up for them to walk by. And they went by. And the scripture tells us that then later Pharaoh and his army start to come after them. And then the, the sea goes back together and he drowns all of Pharaoh and his army. Then you go into chapter 15 and you see uh, a, a song of victory and worship. There they are in chapter 15, worshiping God. They've just went through a great victory. God's delivered them. And in chapter 15, they sing a song. Moses, verse 1, and the children of Israel sing a song to the Lord. He says, uh, he's, he's singing and talking, singing about how he would cast a horse and his rider in the sea, verse number one. The Lord is my strength, verse two. And so they begin to praise the Lord. Very similar to what's going to happen according to what John wrote in Revelation chapter four and five, that there's a song uh, that's sung in heaven. In fact, it refers 
to the Song of Moses there. So they are worshiping God. They're thanking him as they get through the Red Sea. Everything's great. They've gone away out of Egypt. God's delivered them. He's taken them. One day we'll be taken out of this world in God's presence. But until then, we're still here on earth. So we see the picture of that in two ways. How God gave them victory. And one day we will be through and out of uh, this world, just like they were out of Egypt. But then now, after they're through the Red Sea... God has plenty of life for them and things for them to do because they're his called out people. So they had great victory in worship. But look what happens. How human this is. When you get to chapter 15, or look it down at verse, um, verse number 22 of chapter 15. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out in the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came, Verse 23, when they came to Marah, that name Mara means bitter or bitterness. They could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. Verse 24, and the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Isn't <laughs> that something? It's just amazing how as Christians even, our human nature kicks in sometimes. We're not satisfied. We, we just are not content. We're not content with the things God has for us and wants to do for us. Look, God got them out of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea alive. Did they not realize God's going to take care of them and give them the water and the food they need? But they begin to doubt how human they were, how human we are. We do the same thing sometimes, maybe in different ways, but we do the very same things. Look at verse 25 where the Bible says here that there was a tree. And Moses said, uh, let me back up, I'm in the wrong place there. Verse 20, yeah, verse 25. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which when he had cast in the waters, the waters were made sweet, and he made them for a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. God took a tree, put it in the water, made it sweet. That's a miracle. How's, how's a tree going to make something sweet? Well, if God does it, he makes it sweet. Another thing here is another picture of the cross. The cross was made out of a tree, and so the cross makes the Christian life sweeter as we take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus every day. So, get to chapter 16, more discontentment. I'm going to have to start moving a little bit faster as we go through here. I know I've been moving fast. I'm going to have to go faster. Chapter 16, we see more discontentment. God promised he was going to take care of them. And they get in the, in the uh, wilderness and we don't have any food. So God gives them manna from heaven. He gives them quail from heaven to eat. They have, they have um, quail that's uh, you know meat, bird. Then they have... Um, Fowl, I guess you'd say. Then they have manna from heaven. It was like a bread. Uh, manna simply means what is it? And it was just a little round, probably just not much bigger than a snowflake, and it was white. And it's called manna. And he told them, I want you to take this manna and eat it. And they did that. They eat it. But guess what they did? They got tired of it. Here's God giving them something, keeping them alive, giving them the food they need, and then they get tired of it. They can't be content. Boy, the human nature really shows, doesn't it? And we see and learn lessons from that. So again, in chapter 17, again, another problem. We're thirsty. And so the scripture says, as they get to uh, a rock there, that God tells Moses, Moses, smite the rock and the waters come out. Jesus was smitten on the cross for us. He took our punishment on the cross. Jesus said, I am the living water. And beautiful, beautiful picture of our Savior right there as he is our living water and water comes out of the rock. God did another miracle and uh, brought, uh, gave them water. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but let me say this. At the end of chapter 17, or the second half, verse 8 to 16, they find themselves 
in a battle with, a, with, a, um, with the Amalekites. The Amalekites were, were going to be continual enemies of Israel. And it said in verse 8, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel at Rephidim. They had a battle with Amalek, and they battled with them and as, as long as, when Moses was sitting there, as long as his hands were held up, they had victory. If his hands came down, they did not have victory. And it says that Aaron and Hur, H-U-R, you've probably seen the movie many years ago, Ben-Hur comes from, from this here, from this man. But anyway, Aaron and Hur held up his hands, held up the hands of Moses. And as long as his hands were up, they had victory. And it says that they held them up till the sun went down. And Moses' right-hand man, Joshua, led them into victory, into battle. But God assured them that they would have, for the rest of their lives, they would battle Amalek. Amalek, folks, in, the picture, in Scripture is a picture or a type of our old sin nature. We're going to fight with Amalek until God calls us home. We've got these old sin, uh, this old sin nature, these old sinful desires, and we're going to battle with it until God calls us home. There's not a Christian living that's gotten to a point where they say, I don't battle with my, with my flesh anymore. They're either lying to you or they're just not paying attention in life. Chapter 18, we see the story of Moses and his father-in-law comes, uh, gives him an idea. I've seen this preached and taught about. Some say this was a wonderful idea. Some say this was a terrible idea. But boiling it all down, what happened was Moses' father-in-law talks to him and says, man, you're wearing yourself out. You can't take care of all these people. There's no way you can take care of all these people. They were in the millions at this point. So he said, what you do is you get leaders over tens, leaders over thousands, uh, hundreds, leaders over thousands to take care of the problems and the really big things they'll bring to you. But the daily stuff, let them take care of that. And so Moses takes his advice and he has leadership under him in Israel in, uh, in chapter 18. You get to chapter 19 and Moses goes up to the mountain and talks to the Lord. And, he, and God tells him uh, many things that he wants him to do, gives him commandments as he's there upon the mountain. And so Moses comes back down from the mountain after he's been on the mountain talking to the Lord, and he talks to the people. He talks to the Lord about the people. Then he comes down and talks to the people about the Lord. This is what God wants us to do. We're his people. We're his covenant people. And this is what he has for us. So when you pick up in chapter 20 is the place where we find the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. Um, the, the ten are listed there. They're also listed in Deuteronomy later on. But the ten commandments are listed there that God gives to Moses. Take these down to my people. This is what they're going to do. This is how they're going to live. And so as they stood before and heard Moses, you can read on into chapter 21 or so, and you see where they say that all the Lord has said, we will do and obey. We'll do what God tells us to do. Because they were his covenant people. He said, you're my people. Keep my commandments. Do what I'm telling you to do. So when you read chapters 21 to 23, these are the moral and civil laws. Not all of them, but a lot of them are found in those three chapters. And they're repeated later in some of the other books, uh, Deuteronomy and, and uh, Numbers. They're repeated later on. But those are moral and civil laws for the nation of Israel. Remember, Israel is a theocracy. Um, we, we use the word democracy, and then we use a couple of the words similar to it. But a theocracy means that it's a, it's a, it is governed by God himself. He was going to govern the people. Moses was to be the earthly leader of the people. But God was going to govern them through the laws that he gave them. 
and there were moral and civil laws that they would work out amongst themselves and live amongst themselves. The people agree, verse 1 to 8 of chapter 24, all that the Lord has said we will do. Moses goes back on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights at the end of chapter 24. There he is before God, uh, talking to him, and God gives him more things that he wants him to do. The Bible says he was there and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. There are two others in Scripture that did that. Anybody know who either one of those were? Anybody? Jesus was one, and Elijah was the other. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are three that fast 40 days and 40 nights. Interesting. You get in the New Testament, not long before Jesus is crucified, he goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. They're up there, and two people appear with him, and they see him. Who are they? Moses and Elijah. So those are the three that fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now, what you're about to see is really something when it comes to the volume of chapters in Scripture. We looked in Genesis, and chapter 1 gave us the six days of creation. God rested on the seventh day. Chapter 2 breaks down a little bit more about when he created Adam and Eve in the garden. So you've got two chapters there of creation. You have a couple of chapters in Isaiah where he talks about, God says, I am the creator uh, you see Jesus mentioning uh, the book of Genesis and, and, uh, and his ministry, how uh, in Scripture it says God uh, created Adam and Eve, created male and female, and, and brought them together. So you see some places in different spots in Scripture about creation. But God spends, and this is not all of it, chapter 25 to 30, God spends right there those six chapters talking about a great big tent out in the desert that's going to move from place to place as they move. He told them, this is how I want it built. You're going to build it out of this. And the people, starting in chapter 25 and read through there, they bring an offering. Two of the things mentioned are gold and silver. Where did we see that? Remember when they left Egypt? The gold and silver that they took was used later for the, for the furnishings of the tabernacle. It was used for all the furniture inside was either made of or covered with gold. Then many of the, the, the joints and things on the tent uh, where they were joined together were made with silver. And so you read through there, and the people brought everything that was to be donated for the tabernacle. They brought of the ramskins. They brought of the linen. Everything was brought. And so for six chapters, God had given in those 40 days and 40 nights, here's the blueprint, Moses. I want you to make a tabernacle where I can dwell with my people. That's a pretty important tent. God's going to dwell amongst his people in the tabernacle. We need to move on. You read in chapter 31. We went to chapter 30. You get to chapter 31. It gives of the two men that God picked. These are going to be my, these are going to be my, my, my craftsmen that's going to build in chapter one, uh, 31, verse 1 to 11. Then they confirm the Sabbath together. And then we see the tablets of stone mentioned in chapter 31. As Moses comes down from the mountain after God told him about the tabernacle. Well, lo and behold, he has no sooner come down from talking with God. He's already he's got the Ten Commandments in his hand, the two tablets. He brings them down, and lo and behold, the Aaron show's going on. His brother, who's going to be the high priest of Israel, is down there with the people partying. They're naked. They're dancing around and they're worshiping this cow. They're worshiping a bull. 
They're worshiping this, this cow there. The scripture describes it in chapter 32 where the Aaron show's going on. And so Moses pleads, he makes a plea to Israel. Why are you doing this? God is the one that delivered you, not this golden calf. That didn't deliver you. And then he pleads to the Lord in chapter 32 to 50. He makes his plea, Lord, please don't destroy your people. Please don't destroy them. God was gracious. He was merciful. But what did Aaron do? God uh, or Moses says, what are you doing? Well, we were down here, Moses. We didn't think you were going to come back. So one thing led to another. And then all of a sudden, this calf pops out. If you're going to tell one, you might tell a real, real big one. Might as well tell a big one. You're going to tell it because that's what he did. He just flat out lied. And so Moses says, look, God is going to be merciful to you. But why are you worshiping an idol? That idol didn't bring you out of Egypt. And so, folks, there are times in our life where we can make things or people idols in our life. If we let them, we got to realize our loyalty is to our Savior, first and foremost. Uh, he's more important than anyone or anything else. So God assures me I'm not going to destroy him. And God shows him. Moses says, I want to see you, Lord. I want to see your face. He said, you can't see my face, but I'll walk by and you can see me as I walk by. And the Bible says that he saw God's glory briefly. And then Ten Commandments, number two, God gives him two tablets as he gives them to Moses. And there's a reminder of all the commandments and the feasts, the rest of that chapter. And then Moses goes back before God and the Bible says his face shone. Because he was in the very presence of God and he had to put a veil over his face to talk to the people uh, because his face was shining with the glory of God. Come back to chapter or get to chapter 35. Here are six more chapters, 35 to 40, talking about that tent out there in the wilderness. Twelve chapters in Exodus. God spends over a fourth of it talking about a tabernacle. And all the pieces, everything, how it's to be put together, all the furniture, all the offerings, where you take this amount of oil, this much amount of, of flour, this much, all that stuff is important to God. And the reason being is it's showing them that God takes very seriously dwelling among his people. He takes it very serious. So when we see it in the New Testament, we find that this is the secret, folks. If you want to get to know God, Get to know his son. That's how you get to know God. The Bible, Jesus came down and said to dwell among us. And for a while, he was a temple. He, he, tells, he told them, he said, if you destroy this temple, in three days I'll raise it up. They thought he was talking about the temple of Herod. He spoke of the temple of his body. And then the Bible tells us, it's beautiful, man. The Bible tells us, Paul writes and says, you and I you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. God's dwelling is with us. Then God had to dwell in a tent. Now his dwelling is with us. Isn't that beautiful to look and see how personal our God is? How much he loves us? So we get to the timeline. Exodus only covers, you compare it to Genesis, only 119 years. It's not that long uh, of human history from 1580 to 1461 before Christ. Let's do this real quick. We got to go on over time. Exodus shows us how the Lord got Israel out of Egypt. Now, when we get to Leviticus next week, Lord willing, it'll show how the Lord got Egypt out of Israel. Now, that was a task to do. Uh, in the book of Exodus, the Passover lamb is introduced. In Leviticus, the Passover lamb is instituted. You see the first Passover in Egypt, uh, from going to getting ready to leave Egypt in Exodus, but in Leviticus, he laid, this is how you observe this feast, and they were to keep it every year the same time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is our Passover lamb. 
To who was it written? Well, it was written for God's Old Testament people as a covenant that he made with them. But we know that in the, in the day we live in, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Romans 15, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, tells us all those things were written for us. They weren't written to us, but they were written for us that we can apply scripture in our lives. Let's look at some lessons learned. Number one, Egypt, the world, brings suffering to God's people, brings slavery. The world always has. This world is not our home. Uh, this world is no friend of grace, and we'll have good days while we live on this earth, don't get me wrong, but this world is not our home. Our home is in heaven with our Savior. Another lesson, every Christian has constant, constant battles that we go through. Unbelief, like they didn't believe God was going to give them food, and He provided for them. They didn't believe He'd give them water, He provided for them. And then there's Amalek. When we talked about we'll have battle with Amalek with our old nature for the rest of our life. Number three, wrong influences can pull us away from the Lord. There's Moses up in the mountain. There's Aaron down there making a golden calf, and they're worshiping it. Then we see the tune up here. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 12, God said, when I see the, uh, the blood, I'll pass over you. John 1, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We are free from what once bound us. We may not feel like we are. Our emotions may not tell us that. But God's word tells us we are free from what once bound us. We are free. We're the Lord's tabernacle now. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, Paul refers to this body as a tabernacle. Just as that tabernacle was once put away and they built a temple, this body will be once put away. Jesus is the I am. Um, give you a reference if you want to write that down. John 8 Verse 46 to 59, he tells the Pharisees there, he said, I am that I am. Boy, he, he got them all mad when he said that. They knew what he was talking about. Uh, like Moses, Jesus was a shepherd. Uh, like Moses, Jesus is our deliverer. He's our rock. We saw in chapter 17, verse 1 to 6, where uh, the, he smote the rock, Moses smote the rock, and the waters came out. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 refers to that, that Jesus is our rock indeed. And um, in Exodus, we see the tabernacle, all the tabernacle, tabernacle furniture points to Jesus in some way. The candlestick, he's the light of the world. The showbread, he is the living bread. Ark of the Covenant, he is our Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, and he's the mercy seat for us that's on the Ark of the Covenant. And then, of course, he's our great high priest. Places in Hebrews mention that he is our high priest. Several of those there, 217, 31, 414. 726 and 9-11. I know there's a lot to write down. You may want to go back and listen to this again and maybe get the, the verses when you listen to it. I know we're having to, to hurry tonight. Um, he calls himself the I Am. He's our Passover lamb. Jesus is. Um, another good verse there is where it says, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then in 1715, where they're battling with Amalek, God's, uh, he's, he's called Jehovah. Nisi. Jehovah's a Old Testament name for God. Um, don't let the Jehovah's Witnesses fool you, folks. Jehovah is the name of God, but it's also of Jesus. Uh, but he's, God, he's the Lord, our banner. Jehovah Nisi means the Lord, our banner. So we'll stop there. I know it was quick tonight, but I went way over. And uh, we cruised through Leviticus, uh, Genesis, uh, Exodus, excuse me, pretty fast. Lord willing, we'll go through Leviticus next week. Any questions or anything before we close? I know it was a lot to take in tonight, but we're cruising through. We're not stopping a lot. We're cruising through. Anything, anything before we close?
All right, let's dismiss in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I know, Lord, we go through it very fast, but we're trying to hit highlights, Lord, just to make us think and get some content in each book of the Bible. And Lord, as a result of that, maybe as we read over and see some high, high places, we'll maybe go back and read over it and stop and go in and look at some things that we saw tonight that built some interest in it or created some interest in our minds and hearts, something spiritual in our, our life that we can apply. Uh, Lord, there's so much in there from, from the uh, bondage of the world to being delivered uh, through the Red Sea out of Egypt to the Passover lamb to uh, the, all the parts of the tabernacle, how important that was uh, and is. We, we thank you, Lord, as we learn from this. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. Uh, pray that you'll leave, uh, be with us as we leave from here tonight. Keep us safe as we go home, Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.